0: Uh, The testimonies that's been given tonight. And uh, let's pray for the services tomorrow as well. And no telling what God may do even tomorrow night. Revelation chapter number 2. And we'll begin reading uh, in verse number 12. Revelation 2 and verse number 12. The Bible said unto the angel of the church in Pergamos, These things saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is. Thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith. Even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of Nicolaitans, which which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with this sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Father, thank you tonight for the word of God, the testimonies. Lord, for the good singing and your presence. Lord, I pray that you'll bless now the reading of thy word. Speak to our hearts tonight. May the Holy Spirit be pleased with all that will be said and done. God, I pray that No flesh would be exalted tonight. I pray, Lord, that we would not try to touch your glory in any way. But, oh, God, I pray that you'd be magnified and glorified, and, and Lord, that the church would be edified tonight. And for what you do, we'll love you and praise you. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated tonight. I want to preach a message concerning the church of Pergamos tonight, dealing with the worldly church, the worldly church. When you think about Pergamos, the name Pergamos means mixed marriage. And what that does is it gives us kindly an idea of what was taking place inside Pergamos in the town in the city and even in the church. When you consider the the city of Pergamus within itself, it was unlike any of the other seven churches in Asia Minor, or the area, should I say, in Asia Minor, in the fact that it was not an industrial city, but it was a city that was very wealthy, and in that wealth came a lot of uh, uh, a lot of entertainment, and this is really what Pergamus was about. It was about wealth. It was about entertainment. It was uh, it was about having a good time, and because of that, the church, even though it was holding fast during this time, it is a picture and. A type of where the church is even at today, but Pergamus was a town that was, uh, was, was uh, full of wealth and full of entertainment, and you know, Satan, oftentimes, he will take wealth and surround himself, because what wealth does is it lures men in within wealth. Not all wealth is sin. We know that, that God can prosper a man, and God can bless a man, but I'm talking about Satan. With his wealth comes a lot of fancy things, fancy ideas, a lot of entertainment that does not honor God and sin abounds many times in the midst of wealth. That was the town of Pergamos and that was where uh, we find this text and where we find this church and this is the third church that is addressed uh, in Revelation chapter number two and though it is a literal church, it has a a practical timeline because it was one of the seven churches in Asia Minor that, that John was writing to, it was a literal church but yet it also has a prophetic timeline from the years 300 A.D. to 500 A.D., Uh, Pergamos was somewhere in the midst of that and it being the third church we know that Ephesus was the first and we know that Ephesus was a sleepy church and it was a church that had fallen and had left its first love. Smyrna was a church that was under great persecution and God was uh, uh, trying to encourage that church and it was a church that was allowing false doctrine to come in well I want to say Pergamos was a church that had went from being fallen to allowing false doctrine to now it was a church that had opened its doors and embraced the world, and what was outside within outside of Pergamos was now living within the walls of the church of Pergamos. I want to say tonight, if you and I are not very careful, it doesn't take, listen, it'd take less than 30 days to let the world come in and take over this church. All it would have to take is for some of us to roll over and to just give in and give up. And I want to tell you, the world would be ready to storm the doors and to take what is sacred and what is holy. Well, whenever we come to this text tonight I want you to see five things in our text concerning uh, the church of Pergamos because Christ has a message for this worldly church I want to say our Lord has a message for the worldly churches of our day and time. You and I may look at this and may say well preacher we're not a worldly church but I want to say what defines a worldly church? It's not just a list of standards and I, I believe in standards, I believe in separation I think you ought to have a lot of it but I want to say that is not what separates a worldly church. You see, when you come to this text tonight, what was wrong with this church and what made this church so worldly was its doctrine. Amen? You say, what do you mean? Well, in verse number 14, he said, I have a few things against thee because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. They've allowed the doctrine of Balaam to come in. Then in verse number 15, he said, so that hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. So what defined this church uh, was this doctrine. If you take the doctrine of Balaam and you take the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, there was basically three things uh, it, that it consisted of. It consisted of, first of all, idolatry, then it consisted of immorality, and then infidelity. And God said that doctrine has infiltrated those three things in your church and it has become a worldly church. Now that's simple tonight because the truth of the matter is uh, that whatever we start out as a practice, eventually it becomes a principle in our life. Amen? What may be behavior today will be our belief system tomorrow. Our deeds become our doctrines. Amen? And that's what had happened to Pergamus. They had allowed princes, uh, practices and behavior and deeds to go on in the church that developed into behavior, it developed into principles and it soon became doctrines within the walls of the church. Now tonight, if we're not careful the very thing we call sin tonight, if we allow some of it, it'll become a doctrine tomorrow. Well, that's why we're 150% against Calvinism. I was preaching for a guy one time. He said, I'm not a a full Calvinist. He said, I don't believe in all the tulip. He said, I'm just a two pointer. He said, I'm not a five pointer. I said, so you got two uh, petals on your rose rather than five petals, but I'm a zero pointer. I believe in whosoever will gospel, amen? Brother, if you'll flirt with two points, guess what? You'll take the whole bait after a while, amen? I read after Calvinists, but once they start diving into salvation and sovereignty and election, I get off the train with them and I move on to somebody else. Amen. Because nobody becomes a Calvinist by reading the Bible. You become a Calvinist by reading after other Calvinists. Amen. I wanna say tonight how we believe affects our behavior and our behavior affects our belief. And so he deals with this worldly church tonight and he's gonna, de- I want you to see first of all, in verse number 12, I want you to see uh, his words to a worldly church. He said unto the angel of the church in Pergamus, right? These things saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. Now, Pergamos, even though it was a wealthy church, what had happened is they had begun to practice false doctrine. And in the town of Pergamos there, they began to worship the God of medicine. They began to seek after nature, and they would begin to study uh, the, the life within itself. And, and it always leads to corruption because they bypass the, uh, the creator, the God of heaven. You know, we live in a day of tree huggers. Somebody say, man, I mean, they'll save whales, but they'll murder babies, amen? Uh, listen, they'll worry about some spiritual bird on an island somewhere, so, uh, uh, but yet they'll murder babies by the millions. Uh, and friend, that's exactly the problem that was here. They begin to allow idolatry of worshiping the God, uh, the gods of this world, the gods of creation, rather than the God of creation, amen? They love the creature more than they love the creator. You know, tonight, listen, that's why the devil, he likes to take, you know how the devil will take every holiday we got, we're going in the holiday season, and he always tried to make it about something other than what it's supposed to be. I mean, there's a verse in Revelation chapter, Romans chapter one, you can read that later, that mentions every single holiday and how that uh, idolatry is filtrated into all I mean, who ever heard of a bunny laying eggs? Somebody say amen. Well, you want to warp your children, just teach them something like that. I mean, it didn't take me too long in life to figure out bunnies don't lay eggs. And they certainly wouldn't be colored and striped if they did, Amen you what they're doing? It's a distraction. Now, if you let your kids hunt Easter eggs, I'm not going to fuss you out about something like that. But you know what's behind all of that mess. Uh, I'm just simply saying this. Teach them about the resurrection. Amen? Teach them that it's about the Lord. Uh, it's got to do with the gospel. Amen? Don't let the world distract your children by the doctrine, the false teaching. But we adopt a lot of their teaching. And so the word here is this, that these things saith he, which hath a sharp sword with two edges. He said, I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. Now that's what had happened. Satan had put his seat in Pergamos. He had become his headquarters. I think we have to be reminded that the devil is a fallen angel. Isn't that right? He does not have the, the abilities of deity, meaning that he is not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. The devil cannot be everywhere at the same time. If he's here, that means he's not there. If he's there, that means he's not here. But he can set up headquarters. Amen? I think There's cities in our own nation that we would say would be a good stronghold or a headquarters for Satan's presence and his power to work. I think Las Vegas would be a good place. Isn't that right? God knows California is. And sad to say, Washington can even be that place. And so he has headquarters, amen? And he works. And that's what he's saying here, that Satan's seat was in Pergamos, amen? Brother, I don't want Bible Baptist Church to become a place for Satan's seat, To work. There's a lot of churches that the devil has set up shop in because they've given over to the idolatry, the immorality, and the infidelity that's taken place. A church ought to be clean. A church ought to be holy. A church will never be perfect, but we ought to clean out our heart, clean out our lives. We ought to keep the world out of the church. Is that right tonight? And so there's words. He said, he that hath a sharp sword, meaning with two edges that God is ready and willing to cut away the things that do not need to be in the house of God. I want to tell you, that's what the Lord is constantly doing in all of our life. It's what he's constantly doing in the church is there's constantly a cutting away process. He's trying to trim back the things out of our life that do not need to be there. Whenever you and I allow stubbornness or bitterness or, or pride to get in our heart, when we say no to the Holy Spirit and we, allow him not, or we don't allow him to cut those things out of our life, that's when we get real, in real trouble with God. Amen. Well, you can be in a good church and get worldly in a heartbeat. Being an old-fashioned church, we've all seen people get that, that far away look in their eye and you know they're gone before they ever leave. And when they leave, they they always blame somebody other than themselves. What happened is Satan got a stronghold in their heart and their words to this church. He said, thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith even in those days where an Antipas was, uh, was my faithful martyr who was slain among where Satan dwelleth." You see, he knew where Satan was at. Satan was in Pergamus, and Satan was storming the doors of the Pergamus church. Uh, he was taking over by storm and I wanna say tonight, God knows where the devil is tonight, amen? He knows his address just like he knows our address. But thank God in Pergamos, there was still some people that was faithful. There was still some people that was holding to what is right. And there was words of rebuke, but there's words of encouragement and comfort to those that were being faithful. I would say to every young couple, to everyone that has a family, you have children, to every older saint of God, to every teenager, you need to hold fast and you need to be faithful in this day and time. We don't need to compromise. We don't need to back up. We don't need to slow down. We don't need to coast. We need to stick with the. Staff if there's ever been a time we've been called on to hold the line and to do what's right, it's the day and hour that we're living in, amen? Let's not get worldly, let's don't compromise, let's don't become Pharisees, but let's don't be liberal, amen? Let's just be faithful and do what God has called us to do. See, tonight I have no badges to wear other than the emblem of the cross. You can be gun barrel straight, and still be, how can I say it? Know where you came from. I don't want to be a Pharisee. God knows I don't want to be a liberal neither. I just want to stay tender, don't you? I'm not telling you I am, but I'm telling you I want to be. I'm saying tonight, let's keep her tight and right, amen, at Bible Baptist Church. We're not going to boast about it. We're not going to We're not You know why we're not going to boast about it? Cuz we're never as tight as we need to be. Amen. We're never as right as we need to be. There's always room for more improvement in all of our life, isn't that right? That keeps us from being high-minded. That keeps us from thinking that we're something that we're really not, amen? When you just really know who you are and how you are and how far you've got to go to even be where God wants you to be at, I'm telling you, friend, it'll be a battle to the graveyard for you and I to just stay right. But I'm willing to fight it, aren't you? I'm willing to tote the line and stay with what's right. It's a good fight, amen? I'll battle this flesh and I'll battle the world and the devil until I draw my last breath but thank God when the last breath that's been drawn and when I lay down the sword, hallelujah, there'll be victory on the other side. I'll say goodbye to this robe of flesh. I'll tell the devil goodbye never again and there'll be victory in the glory world but until then, you know what we're going to do? We're going to press on. We're going to stay the course. We're going to hoe the same row. We're going to preach the same book. We're going to have the same standards, it may be outdated and now not in tune with this world, but I'd rather be in tune with that world as to be in tune with this world any day of the week. There's no room for compromise. There's no room for giving in or giving up or giving out. We must go on for the glory and the honor of God, amen. Hallelujah tonight. I'm telling you, friend, I want to be in a church where people are not ashamed and not afraid to take a stand and you can do it with a tear in your eye. You can do it with a heart full of love and I'm telling you, friend, there's just some things tonight, they're not for sale. Can I get an amen? I'm telling you, friend, it still pays to dress right. It still pays to to do right. It still pays, amen, to live clean and live pure and to live holy and we need some saints of God that'll walk with God and live right in this present world that we're living in. Let's don't compromise. Let's don't let the music of the world in our church. Somebody say amen. Brother, I'm telling you, let's not, let's not change the Bible. Let's do not drop our convictions to get a crowd. It may one day just be about 15 or 20 of us, but I'd rather have a handful, wouldn't you? And know that I didn't compromise as to have a house full and not have anything. Amen. I think you can do that and still love sinners. I know you can because we've been doing it all these years. But we don't need to change the words to this church, is to be faithful to the end. We're not to be popular. We're to be faithful. You know, I'm not out to be hated. I know some men, it's like the more people hate them, the better they feel. I don't like that, do you? I love people. Don't you love people? And I want people to love us. But we're probably always gonna be that church. Oh, you go to that church. Yeah, I know where that church is. You know, people's, People's, I don't know if it's because of people that's left the church or people that visit the church. It doesn't make no difference tonight. There's always people say, so, and I've heard it, I'm sure you've heard it. Maybe you've never heard it. Well, here's a newsflash. Oh, you go down there. Man, they're a cult down there. You know, everybody's wearing uniforms and got sneakers, you know, and they're building a the barbed wire around the church. That's why they want you to think you're living in a compound because you believe the Bible. No, we're, we're, we're not Pharisees. Hey, tonight. Listen, we're we're not. Uh, listen, I'm not. I'm not going to your house and driving by and seeing how you live. That's between you and God. Amen. You'll answer to God for how you live, but I'll answer to God for this church, amen? And we'll all answer to God for this church one day. But there's people say, oh, well, they're a cult down there. I never answer that. I never. I don't ever wanna get in a mudslinging uh, a fest about that. Let them think what they want to. People's gonna believe what they wanna believe. Huh? And if they, if people choose to believe that, that's their business, amen? You say, well, Brother Gravely, don't that bother you? It doesn't bother me in the least. Uh, hey, friend, I just wanna keep winning souls. Uh, I just wanna keep knocking on doors. Uh, let's just keep on helping families. families. uh, listen, they can say what they will and do as they please. Uh, It'll all pan out one day at the judgment seat, but I got a good feeling, I got a sneaky feeling when the dust is settled and the smoke is cleared. uh, I'm telling you, friend, uh, these compromising and these, uh, uh, listen, these uh, uh, pop-up churches all around the community, uh, they're not going to stand on judgment day. uh, But them old time saints uh, uh, that have plowed the road, Uh, they've stayed faithful and true to the book. Uh, They took their stand uh, and they did it with the right spirit. Uh, thank God we'll hear him say well done thou good and faithful servant let's just be faithful hallelujah I don't even want to be around the crowd that is straight and they're proud of it I don't even want to do with that crowd neither well I just want to don't you want to just raise your family and have a place to worship and feel God's presence that's all I want don't you I've raised my family in this church and it's been good for my kids growing up. It'd be good for my grandkids. You pray, I got one I'm praying about. They may be moving and uh, it's just the way it is, ain't it? I did pray, Lord, would you let them have, one, have, have a church right here? But he might not, I don't think he's gonna let that happen. But I'd rather him be five, mile, five hours away in the will of God as across the street out of the will of God. What I'm telling you is, I've raised my kids in this church. I wouldn't have it no other way. Thank God for a place. I'm glad old time religion runs deep in their veins tonight. They may go the way of the world. I don't think they would, but if they did tonight, there's been enough instilled in them, they'll know what's real and what's not. Brother, I am telling you, just to have a place to, to raise your kids, Do, have you ever thought about that, to bring them to Sunday school and have good godly Sunday school teachers that you know is praying for them and, and it's got their best interests in mind and you can sit in another classroom and not have to worry about what kind of Bible's being used or what kind of literature is being taught to them. That The same thing you teach them at home is, is being taught to them by these Sunday school teachers to, to bring them in on a Wednesday night and know they can sing with other young people and grow up singing in a choir on Wednesday night and worshiping God. They're not shuffled off somewheres in a room uh, where they read some kind of little old watered down lesson and, and giving a ball on Wednesday night while the old people have church. Uh, I'm telling you friend, that's not what it's about. It's about putting them in a place uh, where they know God's real on Sunday morning. He's real on Sunday night. Guess what? He's real on Wednesday night. Amen. Uh, I'm not against having a bus church and reaching young people, but I believe in a family unit. Uh, I think them children ought to grow up on a pew and mom and dad and sit next to them or sit somewhere and know that church is church and we worship together as a family. Hallelujah. That works, doesn't it? You can't bring 35 bus kids in here. You talk about having a meeting, you'd have a meeting but it wouldn't be a spiritual one. But they don't know. But these are to know, isn't that right? One of the greatest privileges you'll ever have in life is going to church with your mom and dad and worshiping with them. I'll tell you some memories that you just can't ever put a price tag on. I'll never finish this sermon tonight, but I'm having a good time anyway. We'll close here in a minute. I'm talking about the, the words to a worldly church. And then there's the witness against the worldly church. I think I want to mention these three th- things tonight, at least them, and we'll be done in just a few moments. Uh, the three things based on their doctrine, the doctrine of Balaam. You know the story of Balaam, how that Balaam uh, tried to hire him to curse Israel and God wouldn't let him do that. And cause of that, you know what Balaam did? He went back to the people of God, the children of Israel, and he taught them whoredoms. He told them to uh, commit fornication. And so you've got idolatry and you've got immorality. Do you know Immorality will destroy a church tonight. You let immorality, fornication, you let adultery get in a church, it'll rip homes apart. It'll rip a church all to pieces and everybody in this church, we ought to pray in the immoral hour that we're living in. That's why you gotta have preaching against sin. You gotta preach on the internet and against the television. You gotta preach against pornography. You gotta preach against uh, inappropriate uh, uh, relationships and talking to people of the opposite sex that you have no business talking to. You gotta preach on accountability. Because if those things are not mentioned over a period of time, immorality will creep in to the doors of your church. And even as much as you preach on it, it could happen here tonight. Brother, if it happens, you better hold the fort. Don't leave. You stay through the storm. You know, I pray against that. I pray about the membership and the leadership. God, don't let immorality get in our church. Well, oh, I'm telling you, it has destroyed so many good churches. Brother, there must be accountability tonight. If you are looking at something on the internet, you need help tonight. You need to get on this altar and get help. But you need to go to somebody that can help you spiritually. You need accountability. You can't handle that tonight. I know a man that's dead tonight. It all started with perversion. He's dead tonight as a result of a 10-year process. It all started one day, looking on the internet for just a few moments. And tonight, the end result of that is that he's in eternity. You see tonight, immorality, idolatry, loving. I think a preacher should preach against things because anything can become an idol. Anything. It's not that it is wrong, but we, when it takes, when it takes a, a top priority in our life, then it becomes a sin. Brother, I'm telling you, a man has to work a job. If a man don't work, he, he don't eat. The Bible said he's worse than an infidel. Everybody, every man should work a job. Somebody say amen. God created you not to lay on the couch. Amen. Not to let your wife pay the bills. God created you to work. Amen. And you ought to work. You ought to want to work. Amen. Brother, I'm telling you, it's just in us. We, uh, that keeps us healthy. It keeps our mind clear, but it's pleasing God and, and you ought to have good work ethic. Don't, don't be lazy. Don't, don't sit around. Don't try to make an easy dollar, amen? Everybody's looking to win the big one. You ought to just want to work. Somebody say amen to that. Uh, an idle mind is a devil's workshop. It may not be Bible, but it's a good principle to live by. Don't you be a lazy person. If you got other mouths in your, in your house to, uh, to feed, then you need to have a good job, amen, and take care of them you don't gotta be rich but you oughta, they ought to never have to worry about paying the bills you ought to never have to worry in this country about where their meal's coming from it may not be T-bone steak but you ought to at least bring home the bacon somebody say amen and make sure they can eat good and eat well I mean it ought to be a good work ethic isn't that right? but I'll tell you something you should never put your job over God if your job pulls you away from church And I understand their circumstances. I'm not talking about those circumstances. There's people sitting here tonight. Brother David has to work sometimes. I'm going to use him because I know he won't get mad at me. I'll use Brother Black too tonight. There's circumstances that both of those men hate, but they don't have no alternative for a certain period of time. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you love working so much that you'll take whatever promotion comes by, even if it forfeits your right to be in church. Amen? I'm talking about when it comes time around to... To, for extra hours to work and, and you know that you could be at Revival. You could be there. You could be on Wednesday night, but you volunteer. You're not forced to work. You volunteer for those extra hours to get them extra dollars so you can miss church. Friend, I'm telling you, when you get to that place in life, you're never going to get ahead putting your work above God. Amen? Again, I there's men in this church that sometimes they have to work and miss a service. You know I'm not fussing about that uh, when you have to. I'm talking about there. Listen, I know somebody tonight. They used to to be a member of this church, but I went to him one day and I said, Hey, if you don't, if you don't get a handle on your job, you're gonna be out of church. He said, Oh, preacher, I, no, I'm not gonna be. I said, I'm telling you. It's causing you to miss too much church. And he said, well, he gave me the old saying, you know, well, preacher, you know, if I don't work, don't eat, I said, I know that, but I said, I'd be praying, God. Don't let this become a God to me. Right, right. It did. And he lost everything. Not just his job, but he lost his family. See, you can be so busy making a living that you forget to make a life. Amen? I'd rather, Brother George, I'd rather do without some things. Have time with my wife. Have some time with my kids. You don't gotta have the latest. and Who cares about all that stuff? We spend a lifetime buying and gathering things that when we're dead and gone, guess what they're gonna do with it? They're going to sell it. You think they're going to keep all that stuff? You know, my mama's got 900 knickknacks. And she's needing another shell for more knickknacks. And I told my brother, I said, now, if something happens to her, you get all mom's knickknacks because I know how much they meant to you. It's okay to laugh. We make fun when she's sitting around. I said, he gets all of them. He said, no, you can have them. You know what she told me? She said, that's all right. She said, I'll torment both of you. When I die, she said, I want every knick-knack buried with me. And y'all have to do it. (laughs) Y'all know what I'm talking about. How many of y'all know what a knick-knack is? A whatnot? All right, some of y'all livened up there, didn't you? But you know what? It don't make no difference what it is. Your kids are going to get rid of it one day. It don't matter how much is in the garage. It don't matter how much is, is, in, the, is in the closet. It doesn't matter how big the, the collectibles were. They're never going to mean to somebody else what they meant to you. i am telling you, those are things. You can't take them with you. You could bury everything with you, but it ain't going nowhere but six foot under. But I'll tell you what you can do. You can make some memories. It'll last a lifetime and eternity. You can take the souls of your family members. You can take the souls of your friends. You can take people to heaven with you. That's better than anything you can ever gain in this walk of life. I say, listen, I'd rather be poor and have memories and have a family and have a home as to have it all, but have no one to share it with, or to walk the halls of a beautiful home, but it be empty, free, it's just things tonight, materialistic things that will not matter in eternity it'll be gone it'll be gone let me say this in closing tonight, not only the witness against the church, but what about the wisdom to a worldly church, a lot of things we could say, but I'm going to say this and be done, one point here He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the church. Watch this. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. And will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written. You know that hidden manna? You know what that is? That's Christ. Christ was the hidden manna. See, it's not hidden to us tonight, but it's hidden to the world. And what he's saying to a church, believers, a worldly church, that if you'll come out from that world and, and if you'll separate from the world, he said, I'll let you eat of the hidden manna. So you can be saved tonight, but if you ever separate and get spirit filled, there's manna you don't know about. So preacher, I read my Bible and I, and I try to pray some. Oh, I know, but if you'll come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, I'll be a father in you and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. He said, therefore, having these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Come out from among this world. Let God be personal. Let God be close. There's victory in separation tonight. Y'all still believe in separation, don't you? There's victory in coming out from this world. Giving up things is a good thing. When you give something up that has a stronghold in your life, I'm telling you, friend, you take something in spiritual in place of that, you grow closer to God, and God can grow closer to you, and the relationship gets stronger, and it gets sweeter. That's hidden manna, friend. Bible reading's a whole lot better when you surrender your life to God. Uh, Listen, prayer is a whole lot sweeter when you clean out the cobwebs, and you get the sin, and you unload the things that's weighting you down, and you lay aside the weight and the sin that easily besets us. I'm telling you, friend, there's victory tonight. There's hidden manna that no one knows of unless you walk with God. And then he said, I'll give him a white stone. What's an interesting thought tonight? When you think about that white stone, it was used in Bible terms in several fashions. One way that a white stone was used is that it was given to a man after he had been acquitted in a trial. A stone was given to him so that if he was walking the streets and If someone was to come up to him and was to see him as a criminal and was to bring up his accusations, was to bring up the things of his past and what he had done, all he had to do was pull out that white stone. And what that meant was is that he had been justified. He had been set free from from his crimes and the accusations that had been given to him. I wanna say thank God for the day when I got born again. I was guilty. I was under the condemnation. There was crimes that I was guilty of. I'm glad I ate of the hidden manna and one day hallelujah a white stone of justification was given to me and I was set free from my sins it was also given to a victor when he'd won a victory when he would defeat an enemy the enemy would give him his white stone and would carry it back to battle and it was proof that he had won the battle I want to tell you tonight we are on the winning side brother I'm glad when you got saved you got on the right side amen you got on the right side of Calvary. It meant that the battle has been won. I'm not working for or to victory, but from victory, Amen. It also meant this: that when someone, uh, listen, had been a slave, that slave once it was set, that slave was set free and was declared a citizen of that country, he was given a white stone, and meant he was no longer a foreigner, but that he was a citizen of that country. It was given to two friends a white stone was two friends when they would when they would come together and they would would bond their friendship the white stone represented unending friendship between the two individuals they would take that stone and they would take a chisel and they would split that stone in half one friend would take one uh, part of that stone. The other friend would take the other part of that stone. Perhaps maybe a situation might present itself. Maybe years would go by. They would not see each other, and so years would might go by. Maybe in the middle of the night, uh, that friend may come, may need a favor, may need may need something, may need someone in that hour of need, and may knock on his door. And because of strangers in those days, they would not open their doors at night to strangers, but there was a little compartment I read that was over the doorway, and what that friend would do when he would knock on that door proof that it was who he said he was uh, is that he would tell him to pull out his white stone and he would take that white stone and then that owner would take his white stone and those two friends would reach uh, over that doorway and them stones would meet together and if they met perfectly together he knew that it was his friend that was on the other side. I want to tell you thank God the day I got saved uh, I tell you I found a friend in Jesus amen uh, and he took the white stone uh, and he is coming again one of these days uh, and hallelujah we will meet again on the sunny banks of sweet deliverance. I'll see my friend in glory one happy day. Hallelujah. It means unending friendship. And then it also meant this. A father would give a white stone to his son when he would send him to the marketplace. He said when that boy would go in, he would pick out everything that he needed. He had no money. He'd put that stuff on the counter and whenever the the owner would come, we pull out that white stone that Father had given him. and What it meant was that the debt would be paid by the Father. And when the stone was seen, the young man could take the provision that he needed, not because he was able to pay the debt, but the stone bore the image of the Father, and that the Father would settle the debt when he came. Brother, I want to tell you, I owed a debt that I could not pay. Jesus paid a debt that he did not owe. One of these days, hallelujah, we're just two-thirds saved. You know that, don't you? Soul and spirit saved, but this body's not saved. But one day, the debt's gonna be paid in full. One day, there's gonna be the redemption of the body, hallelujah. When Jesus comes, we're gonna be redeemed, hallelujah. I'm glad that what has not been settled yet, it will be settled in the rapture some sweet day. i am telling you, our friends and loved ones that's gone on before, one of these days, it's gonna be settled on the other side. I would say this to you tonight. The words to a worldly church is this. Be faithful. Be faithful. Tonight, I don't think it ever hurts to hear a sermon against worldliness. I know we all believe it tonight. But I would say this just for the sake of it being said. Don't ever get mad when any preacher preaches against the things of this world. Thank God you're able to hear that. Been in churches where you preached on some things, they would get mad. Preacher would get nervous. I, I, when people come here, I'll just let them plow whatever they want to plow. Amen. They might even bump a few things that, that I don't even think there's anything wrong with. Just don't get all bent out of shape about that. Just let them, let them plow against it. You know, I was in Rhode Island this uh, Tuesday and a man got up. He's about 89, 90 years old he preached brother when I say he preached on everything he preached on some things I hadn't heard preached on in a very long time one of them was he had seven kids and he said if you got two kids he said you fashioned to the world he said everybody used to have seven, ten, and fifteen kids and he wasn't playing he said if you got two kids you need to pray about having more kids I said you're too late is what you are <laughs> I got two and you're too late <laughs> he is bearing down and preaching <laughs> fulfilling the first commandment given to Adam and Eve brother George that didn't make me nervous I didn't go out and talk about him let him preach it praise God if somebody has 15 of them one of them turns out to be a Wesley I say hallelujah don't you why would I get mad at that People get bent out of shape, preach on some things. Just swallow it, it'll help you. Amen. Tonight as we stand, if you need to come use the altar, you mind God tonight while we sing.